If you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 4 in your New Testament. Galatians chapter 4, find your place there. Uh, and also, while we're, while we're doing that, you know, one of the things that we miss not being in person is being able to welcome one another. You online from First Baptist Church, and uh, if your uh, participation is usually in another church family, you know that a lot of churches in, the, in, a, in a worship service will take a pause and, and greet each other. And we miss doing that in person. So right now online, you can still do that. You see someone online with you that's live in the worship service this morning listening to this message, let them know you love them, say hey to them, tell them Merry Christmas, whatever's on your heart, uh, and let's just welcome each other this morning. Do it right there online. There may be somebody else you're thinking of that, that might want to be online with you. Uh, go ahead and shoot them a text message. Uh, let them know they can join you at First Baptist Church live stream online this morning. Christmas is the anchor for all of history. Christmas is the reminder of who God is and what He's done for us. Uh, Christmas is not just about the lights, although that's wonderful. It's not just about the gifts, although that's wonderful. Christmas is about God's great gift to us, Jesus Christ, who brought to us the gift of salvation and eternal life in Christ, if we trust Him as our Savior. That's the main thing to keep in mind. Always keep the main thing the main thing this Christmas to remember who Christ is. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, that God sent Christ, His His Son, into the world to redeem us from our sins. You might remember in 2003, we had troops in Baghdad, uh, and that Thanksgiving, had been, it, it was a, a hard time for a lot of the troops we had in the Middle East. Uh, and that Thanksgiving, 600 uh, military personnel gathered for Thanksgiving dinner at the airport in Baghdad. And they expected a representative from the United States government to come out and speak to them. And Paul Bremen, who was the highest ranking official at the time uh, that was in the Middle East, showed up. And he came out, 600 troops there around the tables ready for Thanksgiving dinner. He came out to read a letter from the President, George W. Bush. And when he came out, he said, I've come to read this, this letter, this greeting uh, of Thanksgiving from President Bush. But he said protocol requires that the highest ranking U.S. official in the room is the one who brings you greetings. And then he paused and he looked around and he said, is there anyone else in the room that's a higher ranking official in the U.S. government than I am? And President George W. Bush stepped out uh, from behind him. And of course, the troops went crazy cheering and applauding that he had come personally to give his greeting to the troops that Thanksgiving. And he stayed and he served Thanksgiving dinner to 600 troops in Baghdad on that Thanksgiving. Just about the only people that were disappointed about that were his parents who thought he was going to be with him at th- with them at Thanksgiving in Crawford, Texas and didn't know he wouldn't be there till they learned that he was in Baghdad also. The Bible teaches that through the centuries, God has sent emissaries and representatives to tell us about Him, to tell us to repent of our sins, to tell us to come back to Him, and and to get ready for the coming of the One who would redeem us from our sins. One after another, the prophets, Moses, uh, many in the Bible came as forerunners of Christ and foreshadowed what Christ would do. But then God Himself, Jesus Christ in human flesh, came to give us the message. 
That's what Christmas is about. This morning we're going to read a passage from the Apostle Paul, uh, which is the, the place that's the closest uh, of any of his passages where he describes Christmas. He doesn't actually mention Bethlehem. He doesn't mention Mary. He doesn't mention, at least by name, he doesn't mention Joseph or the virgin birth, all the star. He doesn't mention the Magi. But he's talking about Christmas because it's not so much the events of, of Christmas that the Apostle Paul is going to bring to us. It's the theology of it, the, the depth of it, the richness of what God did for you and me that started at Bethlehem that Christmas morning. So look in your Bible with me, Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start reading at verse 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's a short passage, but in that short passage, the Bible packs together the richness of Christmas. And what we need to remember and what we need to to focus on this Christmas. 2020 has been hard for all of us. And, and, and more so for some than for others. Maybe it's been really difficult for you. And in a weird way, 2020 has even pitted Christians, Christians against other Christians trying to decide if, protocol, if precautions are correct or what we should do, what we should not do. That's why we need to rally again around the manger. We need to see that our hope and our focus is always in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, whether you agree entirely with your with your brother or sister in Christ about how their church handles the pandemic or how our church handles the pandemic, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. We still rally around the manger and gather at the cross and remember what Christ has done for us. Because at the end of the day, it's not about us, it's about Jesus and what he has done for us. Go back to this passage with me for a moment and let's remember what God's done for us at Christmas through Jesus Christ. Look at this with me. Three Christmas truths. We'll call it three Christmas truths that we need to remember this year, especially in 2020. The first one is that God sent Jesus. It's just that simple. God sent Jesus. Uh, Sending Jesus, as as the scripture we, we read says, sending Jesus uh, was not an afterthought. God sent Jesus, Paul said, at the completion of time. Very literally, the passage says, but God sent his son. But God, in the fullness of time, your Bible might say fullness of time, sent his son. Those two front words, literally in the Greek language, but God, are very significant. Because it means no matter what else is happening around you, when you feel hopeless or desperate, destitute, sick, worried, whatever else is happening around you, God can make the difference. And God does make the difference. All this struggle I have, but God sent His Son. All these problems I have, but God sent His Son. That's the message of Christmas and the message of the Gospel. God shows up and gives us hope. God shows up to give us salvation. God sent Jesus means that God initiated his plan. He orchestrated it from the, from the Garden of Eden all the way to Bethlehem and then to the cross. God orchestrated this plan of sending his son Jesus into the world to save us from our sins and to give you hope. The term translated sent means dispatch. It means that God and Jesus talked together and they had a plan and they have a purpose and God dispatched his son, his beloved son, 
into this sinful, messy world. Sent him on a mission to finally tell us personally and face to face who God is about God's grace and God's love for us in Christ and that he wants us to come home to him. That's what Christmas is about. Next time you look at the baby Jesus in your nativity, remember God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus because he loves you. God sent Jesus because he has a plan. God sent Jesus because no matter what it looks like is going on in the world, God is still in charge and God is still in control. History is still in God's hands. God sent Jesus. Secondly, God sent Jesus at the perfect time. God sent Jesus at the perfect time. Now this is the hub, the the pivot point of what Paul is expressing in this passage. But God, in the fullness or in the completion of time, sent Jesus, sent his son into the world. The phrase means that conditions culminated in time. Everything came together just as God had intended and as God planned. And in that completion of events is when God sent his son Jesus into the world. Now, you and I would think that would mean conditions were perfect, that everything was just right, that finally the king of glory would come into a world that maybe did not have sin or would welcome him with open arms. But the Bible shows us a different story. Just as in the 21st century, in the 1st century, people lived in a fallen world, a a world full of sin and corruption and strife. You know what the Roman Empire was like or what it was like to live in the Roman Empire or in Judea and Palestine as the Jews did? In the first century, most people lived in poverty. There was uh, almost no middle class. You were either poor and struggling to make it through life, or you were affluent and powerful. And if the affluent and powerful wanted to show you favor, you might rise in your station just a bit, but otherwise you just struggled through life. We have abortion in our day and time. In the first century, the Romans practiced infanticide, and exposure. If a Roman soldier got a message from his wife that she had given birth to a baby girl, most of the time he would send the messenger back and tell her, put it out in the woods and let the animals kill it. That's what it was like to be a girl in the Roman world. The men decided whether the women, the girls lived or they died. Hundreds of thousands of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Some of those were slaves by design. They were paying off a debt, and when the debt was paid off, they would be set free. But many of them were slaves because when the Romans conquered their people, they captured them, brought them to an area of the empire, and sold them into slavery. And no matter what age they were, they lived out the rest of their lives as slaves. No, it was not perfect conditions. And when Paul says, when the time was complete, he doesn't mean that sin had gone away And the conditions were perfect. What he means was, is that God had a plan that that despite the sin in the world, God was a history maker orchestrating sovereignly moving events in the right direction so that everything would come together, that Christ would be born at the apex, the perfect point of history. So that the gospel would go forth and the gospel would spread like wildfire first in the Roman world and then around the world until Jesus comes back. Because not only were the conditions rough in the Roman world, the conditions were perfect in the Roman world for the gospel to spread. There were three conditions historically in the Roman world that had never happened before until the time that Christ came. First one was called the Peace of Rome or the Pax Romana. 
throughout the Roman world and the known Roman Empire, there were no battles or wars being fought. The Romans would go elsewhere and fight a war, fight a battle, and try to conquer those people. But once someone was brought into the Roman Empire, once a country came in or a people came in, the military of Rome kept them at peace. No one else could conquer them. No one else could come in. So yes, it was a forced peace and probably an artificial peace, but what it meant was people could travel freely without worrying they were going to run across a war or a battle or be attacked because of their ethnicity within the Roman Empire. And that's the second thing that was unique to the Roman Empire. It was the first time in history that people could travel. They could go anywhere in the empire. It wasn't always safe to do it, but by land or by sea, if they wanted to travel, they could travel. They could go anywhere. They could cross borders of nations within the Roman Empire. And the third thing that was unique is for the first time in history, there was, in the known world, one language. People were born with and spoke their native language, but everyone knew and everyone could speak or at least understand the Greek language. Alexander the Great, uh, when the Macedonians uh, were a conquering force before Rome conquered them, they had spread the Greek language and the Romans took advantage of that and they made sure all the children under the empire, under the umbrella of the empire, continued to learn Greek so that there would be one language throughout the empire. God used that language to have the New Testament written in Greek so that every person in the Roman Empire could understand it. My point is that the conditions of the world never prevent God from doing his best work. The conditions of your life never prevent God from doing his best work. And God knows what's going on and God is orchestrating history and working in your life and working in our lives and our world to bring about his best work. God knows what comes next. The pandemic has been a terrible time. 2020 has been a struggle for most of us, some much worse than others. But who could have imagined that due to the pandemic, now, at the end of 2020, more churches than ever are sharing the gospel worldwide. All you have to do is click on the internet. Every individual in the world could hear the gospel this morning, could know about Jesus this morning if they just found the church on the internet, online, just like you're doing this morning. Who could have thought? Who could have thought that churches that had never clicked on Facebook or been online, now they're active, now they're learning, and now they're doing it? Who could have thought that so many opportunities for missions and for ministry in our community and in communities beyond would open up because of this pandemic? Who would have imagined? Who would have imagined all the servants of God who maybe had never carried a bag of hope to anyone or loaded a food box before had ever shown up for ministry? So many people have participated in ministry. Who could have thought that would happen? God knows. God knows. The conditions of our world never prevent God from doing His best work. And the conditions of your life never prevent God from doing His best work. Trust God. Trust Christ as your Savior. Put your faith in Him again. Find your hope in Bethlehem. It's also a reminder that God's timing is always perfect. Never forget that. God knows what he's doing. If you've got a, a prayer you've been praying for a long time, you've been wondering what in the world is God doing, if you're worried about a family member, if you're worried about a struggle, if you're worried, it seems like things are just getting worse, listen, God's timing is always perfect. 
God's timing is always perfect. He knows what he's doing. And he is working the culmination of events and people and relationships perfectly along for his great work. The conditions of the world never prevent God from doing his best work and his greatest work in your life. Bethlehem is a reminder of that truth at Christmas as well. Then one more thing. God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus at the perfect time. Then remember, God sent Jesus for us. God sent Jesus for us. The Bible says, as we read it, that God sent his son into the world to redeem us. God sent Christ for us. Another expression of God's great love is that God would care enough about us to plan a strategy, to to orchestrate Christmas, so he could send Jesus into the world. The Apostle Paul breaks down the gospel and four powerful statements, just statements that are rich with meaning. They're short, uh, they're crisp, uh, but they capture what God has done for us in Christ as he describes Jesus and the coming of Christ. See this with me. First he says, he was born of a woman. He was born of a woman. Now we know that he was born of a woman. Mary was his mother. Luke chapter 2 verse 6 repeats this, but listen. In Luke 2 verse 6, we hear again about God's timing. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The phrase not only means that her uh, that she went into labor, the phrase means that God's perfect or- orchestration of events led up to that moment, and the time God had planned all along for her to give birth to Jesus took place that night in Bethlehem. God's perfect timing. Born of a woman uh, is a way of saying that he was fully human, We know that he was fully God. He was fully human. He was born like anybody else was born into the world. He had flesh. He had bones. He had blood. And he was born into the world. A real baby that grew up to be a real man that died on the cross. A real cross for you and me. And is now alive today as God raised him from the grave. He was born of a woman. Which means also, and moms remember this, he needed a mom. Isn't that good to know? Even Jesus needed a mom, and Joseph is a reminder, Jesus needed an earthly dad. Well, well, Jesus needed a mom also. He was born of a woman. Paul also says he was born under the law. He was born under the law. Uh, That means he was born into the people of God who lived by God's law. He was a Jewish man. Not any other ethnicity or race. Jesus was a Jewish man. He grew up a Jewish man. And frequently in the Gospels, we're reminded that Jesus and his parents customarily followed the law. They were faithful people, faithful to God. But the big difference is he was born under the law so that he could completely fulfill the law of God, something no other human being had ever done before and never would do again completely. In our sinful condition, we cannot perfectly obey God. But Christ had no sin, so he perfectly fulfilled the law of God, and he did that to redeem us from our sins. Notice the flow of this. He's born of a woman. That's Bethlehem. He's born under the law. So he he lives, grows up a Jewish man. He lives uh, faithfully uh, the laws of God. And then Paul says he was born to redeem us. This was God's goal and purpose. Uh, He was born to set us free of sin. But not only to set us free of sin, but to set us free from the law. Galatians 3 verse 13 elsewhere in this book, Paul writes this. Paul says, 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose of that blessing of Abraham, of the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Here's what that means. That means when you break the law, you're responsible to the law. When you break the law, you're guilty of the law. When you disobey God, every time you and I disobey God and sin against God, we are breaking God's law. And we are responsible for that. The problem is, we can't fulfill it entirely. We can't do anything about that entirely. We're just not good enough. So what Christ did when he died on the cross is he fulfilled the whole law and then he broke that curse of the law for all who would believe and trust in him. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, that set you free. That grace of God in Christ set you free from the burden of trying to fulfill the law to please God. Now, Christ has pleased God for you. And when you trust him as your Savior... He fulfills that for you. We are redeemed in Christ. We come home in Christ. We're bought back in Christ. All of it's fulfilled in Christ. That's where our hope is. That's where we find the love of God is in Christ. Born of a woman at Bethlehem, raised as a Jewish man, died on the cross to redeem us. And then Paul says, all of this so that we might receive full adoption as sons. We might receive full adoption as sons. That we might receive Him, our Redeemer, as our Savior. And then our relationship with God would be changed. That we would be adopted alongside Christ into the family of God. He's the Son of God. We're not God. But we get to be part of the family of God. Because of what Christ has done for us. The phrase adopted as sons is a legal term. It's not just about men or sons. It's about all who would trust Christ as their Savior. We receive the legal rights of inheritance. We receive all that Jesus has promised us in Christ. And we receive it from the moment that we trust Christ as our Savior. We become part of the family of God. We become uh, children of God when we trust Him as our Savior because of Christ. That's what Bethlehem is about. It's about Jesus fulfilling the law, redeeming us on the cross, and all who would trust Him are received by Him as children of God. What a beautiful story. Christmas is not just presents and lights and gifts and and Walmart. Christmas is Jesus and what He's done for us on the cross. young lady, little girl named Livia, uh, 12 years old, Romanian girls living in, a, in an orphanage in Romania. And she'd been living in that orphanage for 10 years since she was two years old. Later on, she would recount her experience in the orphanage. She would talk about just how terrible it really was. She said that uh, there was barely any food for all of the children. Uh, and often what they ate was hardened bread. Sometimes it was moldy. She said that Dozens of kids would share one toothbrush. They would have one set of clothes each week that they could wear, and then that set of clothes would be recycled. And, and she said later that all she thought about in her, in her young life, in her childhood years, 
was wanting to know that she had value, that somebody cared, that she was worth something in this world, that her life meant something, and that someone loved her. Was there anyone out there that would love her? Then one day, when she was 12 years old in the orphanage, a woman named Connie came with shoeboxes from Samaritan's Purse. And Livia received one of those shoeboxes. And to her joy, she opened up the shoebox. And Connie shared with her God's love for her, that she did have value, that God cared about her, that the conditions of her world did not change God's best for her, and God's best for her was Jesus Christ. Livia was overwhelmed with this message that she hadn't heard before, and she and Connie connected, and Connie helped her connect with a Christian family nearby in Romania. And in the coming year, that family led Livia to faith in Jesus Christ. And she said later, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I'll never forget the joy that I had. I wish I had a megaphone. I could go outside and tell the whole world that God loved me, that I mattered, that I had been saved and redeemed in Christ. Then another year passed, and when Livia was 14 years old, Connie showed up again. And Connie adopted Livia into her family and gave her a home. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you have a home in heaven. God loves you that much. If you've never trusted Him as your Savior, in just a little while I'm going to invite you to do just that. But first, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. I'm going to talk about what that means, help you understand it. But what I want you to take home this morning more than anything is that Christ is your hope. What happened at Bethlehem happened for you. God sent Jesus for us, for me, and for you so that you would know his love and you would trust him as your Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we pause here, God, we pause and recognize what you've done for us in Christ. Father, it's hard for us to even put words to it, to grasp it, that you would love us that much. And God, we thank you that your timing is perfect in our lives and your timing is perfect in history. We're thankful, God, that you remember us in all that you do. And we're thankful, God, that you were thinking of us when Jesus came, was born in Bethlehem, and died on that cross for us so long ago. So, Father, this morning, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, as we share in this communion, I pray you would touch our hearts. That again, God, we would be reminded what you've done for us. And if there's one who needs Christ as their Savior, that they would be saved today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.